0: Oh my goodness! Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 554. Welcome in. A lot of news to talk about today. Um, I gotta say first, as I look at the monitor, I, I have no idea what I'm doing with my hair. <laughs> I have I have a lot of hair on my head. It looks like a lot. It feels like a lot. Um, although it's not long enough to do anything with, I can't put it back yet. If I put it back, it's not long enough to stay back. I'm in this weird, uncomfortable middle ground where I'm like, I could either cut it right now and like, you know, fade the side, leave it long and curly on the top, or I could let it grow and look kind of awkward for a while until it's long enough to like put it back and wear like, I I don't know. I think I like the idea of having long, like curly Hawaii hair. That would be kind of fun, but I'm not sure that I'm patient enough to wait long enough to get to that point. Um... I don't know, let's start with predictions. I want to start with the Arizona Cardinals, the very best team in the NFL. I have the Arizona Cardinals going fifteen and two. Nobody, nobody realizes that's a joke. No, i mean, sorry the the worst team in football is not gonna go fifteen and two. Um, <laughs> I don't know I, I thought I would say that I was curious. Uh, I'm not quite ready for predictions yet. No predictions today. I worked on them all weekend. Uh, I got really close. Looks like we're aiming for Thursday uh, to start that series. I, you know, I I was feeling really bad because I worked on it really hard. I even took two days off last week to like work on it. And then I did the math and realized there's 32 NFL teams, and only one hour of research per team is still 32 hours of research, and I did way more than that. So um, then, when I like did the math and realized how much work I'm putting into this project, I was like, oh, it's okay. It's gonna take a while. It's part of the deal. And um, I'll be, you know, get it out as quickly as I can. But predictions are still in progress. I think that's fine, though, because we didn't do a show Thursday, Friday. So there is so much news to talk about. Story number one is this. Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert signed a massive contract extension. He got a five-year deal worth $262.5 million. My goodness. Uh, That makes Justin Herbert the highest paid quarterback in the NFL Over $52 million a year. And first of all, I remember when Patrick Mahomes signed that that massive like $450 million 10-year contract. And I remember at the time that deal happened, I said, hey, in a couple years, that's going to look like a bargain. And uh, we have reached that point. Now, you look around the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, who I think is the best quarterback in the NFL categorically, is now the eighth highest paid quarterback in the NFL. So that's interesting to me. It's like, well, yeah, as time has gone on, we've realized, hey, Mahomes is really a good deal for Kansas City, even though 10 years, half a billion dollars sounds insane. When you really do the math and look at it, you're like, oh, um, you know, so many quarterbacks are climbing the ladder and regularly getting more money than Patrick Mahomes is uh, on an average annual value basis. Now, I am so happy for Justin Herbert. Um, You know, he— this is a, a moment where he got generational wealth. He's a great dude. He works hard. I, I have nothing bad to say about this deal, actually. I really, he's one of the rare quarterbacks that is, I think, belonging in that conversation with Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen. Justin Herbert is a top five NFL quarterback. And then like the the other two that are kind of on the fringe is Aaron Rodgers, still top five. I'm not sure, we'll find out. Um, a lot of people are saying that Jalen Hurts is a top five quarterback. He certainly gets paid like it. We'll see this year. I'm, he's had an amazing year last year, and I'll see if Jalen Hurts can build off of last year. But um, to me, I have no problem with Justin Herbert getting as much money as he got. I love it. Uh, it's great for LA. It's great for the Chargers. And I could not think of a more deserving person for general wa- generational wealth to go to. Like, he, he works so hard. He's such a good person. Treats everyone really well. Does all the little things right. Um, I don't have much more to say about that other than like, hey, I'm, I'm excited for Justin Herbert And then really what I thought of is that up next is Joe Burrow. And I'm really curious whether or not Joe Burrow is going to leapfrog Justin Herbert's contract and make more money than Justin Herbert. Like, will we see very quickly Joe Burrow become the highest paid quarterback in the NFL or maybe similar to Patrick Mahomes. Could he take a little more team friendly deal long-term, a little less money, which will allow a little bit more money for your team to spend on players. Um, I could see it going either way. I'm really not sure. You know, is, is Justin Herbert, sorry, is Joe Burrow, excuse me, going to take a little less money to have better players around him? You know, at this point, the more I think about it, I I think years ago, I was very against like, you're giving what quarterback, how much money, especially? The Dak Prescott contract broke my mind. I was like, why is Dak Prescott getting that much money given what he's done? Um, But, you know, the salary cap in the NFL is going up. So there's more money to give to players generally. And, you know, NFL owners are making all time money. I-, I watched, gosh, he was at Dan Snyder, made what, $6 billion from selling the Washington football team? Um, and so I- I'm starting to support quarterbacks getting as much money as humanly possible out of their billionaire owners. I, I really go, yeah, make that money, dude. I, I support it, I understand it. Um, you know, it's if you choose to play quarterback and you work as hard as you do, you become the very best in the planet or top five at what you do. There should be a monetary reward along with that, and that's something that is new for me to feel, but I, I'm really starting to go, yeah, go make that money, man. I really have no problem with Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, whoever. All these amazing quarterbacks getting paid amazing money makes total sense to me. Um, now, speaking of Joe Burrow, the other day he injured his calf. It looked really bad, the video. It was a non-contact injury. He was you know, rolling right out of the pocket, and he just pulled up and was holding his calf and kind of went to the ground. He got carted off the field. Officially, we are being told that it's a calf strain. He's going to be out for a couple weeks. Um, I am am interested how this is going to play into the fact that he's also, at the same time, negotiating a new contract. So he's negotiating a new contract, but he also got hurt. It's a minor injury, but I I wonder if he's going to come back to the field at all until he's got a new contract. I probably wouldn't if I was Joe Burrow, Um, but I want to, on the record, I am not concerned about Joe Burrow injuring his calf at all. Like he, I I don't know. I, I, even if he is not healthy, fully week one, and he's not super mobile, he's going to be fine. He can throw the football. I, I'm just not, this calf strain thing isn't a huge concern to me. And uh, I don't know. I, I actually worry that I, I don't have a, a producer in my ear telling me, hey, you said Justin Herbert when you meant Joe Burrow, but you know, Justin Herbert got a massive contract. Joe Burrow uh, is get the next guy to get paid. He hurt his calf. I, And I'm really not concerned about the calf injury at all Um, now we gotta throw some love at Aaron Rodgers man apparently Aaron Rodgers signed a reworked contract with his new team the New York Jets the big surprise is though that Aaron Rodgers took a 35 million dollar pay cut Aaron Rodgers wanted to give the Jets more cap space to sign more players and help them win And funny enough, now, actually, Aaron's salary cap hit for the Jets is like a a million dollars less than their backup quarterback, former starting quarterback, Zach Wilson. And uh, I want to reiterate that I think Zach Wilson is largely going to benefit from learning behind Aaron Rodgers. I have not given up on Zach Wilson. I think long term, he could be their starting quarterback. He's going to benefit from sitting behind Aaron Rodgers. And what's interesting is a $35 million pay cut that Aaron Rodgers took is about equivalent to the entire four-year contract that Zach Wilson has in New York. Um, So anyway, Aaron Rodgers took a pay cut. I love it. He's all in on winning a Super Bowl. I think that's awesome. Aaron Rodgers did another great thing, though, that I think gets, um, in my opinion, it's deserving of respect and admiration. He texted new Packers quarterback Jordan Love some encouragement. Jordan Love told the media that Aaron texted him. He said, just be yourself, have fun, and enjoy it right, you know, for day one of training camp. And uh, I think it's a cool gesture because there, there's this been narrative, there's, there's been this, there, how do I even say it? There's been this narrative for a long time that Aaron Rodgers hates Jordan Love because Jordan Love was drafted in the first round while Aaron Rodgers was still there and still the starting quarterback and they're supposed to not like each other. And I, I think there's this big narrative and I think Aaron Rodgers is just massively misunderstood. He comes across to me like a guy who, Um, he treats people really well, wants to be well-liked. Um, he's very thoughtful. He's clearly trying to win. He took a pay cut. He's texting a guy. He's apparently supposed to not like Jordan Love because he took his job, but he's, he's encouraging him and sending nice gestures to him. I think Aaron Rodgers is often made out to be a villain because the NFL needs villains. Just like we need heroes in the NFL, we need people to root against. And it makes football more interesting and entertaining. And for a long time, Aaron Rodgers was viewed as a villain and a guy to hate. I'm really hoping that his time with the Jets and what's going to happen probably in the next two years in New York is going to change people's opinion of him. Watching him win, do well, um, taking the pay cut to try to win. like A big criticism of Aaron his entire career is, well, if you want to win, why don't you take less money so you can have better teammates? He's doing that now. And I I really just have to acknowledge that I'm seeing good guy Aaron. I'm seeing Aaron Rodgers be a hero, not a villain. And I just really believe that the ways he's grown seemingly on and off the field in the last couple of years as a person is is really cool to me. And um, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I think, like I said, he's been a villain for a long time. And a lot of people have such a negative view of Aaron Rodgers. And I'm just hoping that you know, The more I listened to him in the last couple of years and got to know him better off the field and listen to him talk and share his opinions more, I was like, how, oh, this Aaron Rodgers guy, I think people misunderstand him wildly. I think he's really a, an awesome guy. And I hope that other people in time can see that side of Aaron Rodgers too. But uh, I see good guy Aaron, man, texting Jordan Love, taking a pay cut, trying to win, um, doing a lot of little things to... Just treat people well and also put his team first and try to win and be selfless. And I, I really, really find myself um, viewing Aaron Rodgers as a hero in the NFL, a guy I'm rooting for. And I'd like to see other people. Uh, I mean, I don't. to be honest, I don't really care, but I, I just think that there's this massive wave of misunderstanding and, and people that just do not interpret Aaron Rodgers, I think, properly. And I would like it to be uh, changed. I'd like for Aaron Rodgers to be able to change the narrative about him. This year in the NFL playing for the Jets. Now, um, here's a, a really st- you know a sad story about an injury. Miami Dolphins stud corner Jalen Ramsey got hurt. He hurt his knee. He got surgery on his meniscus. And uh it's a shame, man. This is a great player that Miami literally traded for this offseason. I thought it was a big move. Oh my gosh, Miami got a new starting corner. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna go really well along with our new defensive coordinator. Vic Fangio, now Jalen Ramsey is going to be out until December. And so after losing Jalen Ramsey, Miami's reaction was to sign corner Eli Apple um, to be their starter for the time being. Number Eli Apple was part of the Bengals Super Bowl run. Uh, at least, you know, they lost the Super Bowl, but they went to the Super Bowl. They lost to the Rams. And a lot of people don't like Eli Apple. He's run his mouth a lot. He's given up a lot of, um, you know, big completions and big moments, i.e. the Super Bowl, Um, he's had a couple public arguments with Tyreek Hill who used to play for Kansas City. It's interesting though, because now Tyreek Hill and Eli Apple are teammates and and literally Tyreek Hill tweeted, practice is about to be fun on Monday because he's going to go up against, uh, Eli Apple. I love it. I think it's awesome. And I think them having to deal with each other in practice every day is going to be I mean, quite frankly, Eli Apple's a guy who's gotten burned a lot in in big moments. And and maybe having to work every single day against Tyreek Hill is going to make him a better player and challenge him to grow. Um, But it's just interesting. There's some drama. Oh, Eli Apple and Tyreek Hill, they don't get along. Now they're on the same team. I think it's kind of fun. But uh, he's going to be their starting corner for the time being until Jalen Ramsey returns in December. Uh, Now, Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins head coach, told the media about the speech that Jalen Ramsey apparently gave to the locker room after he got hurt. And, uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey addressed everyone, said, I appreciate you guys. I've been around the NFL for a while, and what we're doing here in this building in Miami is very special. And I uh, said, Don't feel sorry for me. And I'm going to work really hard to return as soon as possible, try to beat the timetable that doctors give me. Um, hearing Mike McDaniel talk about the speech was the first time in a while. I was like, Oh, man, I miss being in a locker room. I miss that moment where you're all huddled in the team meeting room and one guy pipes up and addresses everyone. And I, I, I loved that moment so much. I loved being a part of a football team. And, uh, I don't know why this particularly was the moment that got me, but I was like, Oh man, I'd be so fun to be in a locker room again. I miss that feeling. And, um, I think part of it's cause I needed, it's been years now since I played and I needed time to, Get over what happened to the end of my career and the Rona and everything. And now it's been, there's enough distance now where I'm like, I just miss playing. I miss football. I miss being part of a locker room. And, uh, I don't know. I would imagine a lot of people that have played football in the past can share that feeling. Um, you know, it's maybe not everyone, but I was a part of a couple really, really special groups of guys that worked really hard together. We all, we were cohesive and it was really fun. And, um, I don't know. I miss the good old days, man. I, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of former football players can, can test, uh, attest to that, which is like, man, I, I really miss the days um, of the camaraderie and the working together. And, and this Jalen Ramsey story really made me feel that. Um, so, I don't know. Just, uh, I would think I'm not alone in that feeling. Now, we got to talk about Colts running back Jonathan Taylor. Um, it's not good. Colts running back Jonathan Taylor requested a trade. And based on what I'm about to tell you and my understanding of the situation, it sounds like Jonathan Taylor's relationship with the Colts is just absolutely unfixable. Um, I am not a big fan of Colts owner Jim Ursay. To me, the word that comes to mind is he's a buffoon. He's a buffoon who regularly hurts his own team. A lot of weird stories about Jim Irsay. Anyone, if you're curious, I'm not going to go into the details, but there's a really Out of an interesting or eye-opening or weird story about Josh McDaniels and Jim Ursay involving a bathroom, if you want to Google that, give it a Google. It's like, oh, that's a weird thing for a guy to do when you're trying to get him to come work for you. Jim Irsay had years with Peyton Manning as his quarterback, and I think Peyton Manning made Jim Irsay look like a good owner for a long time. Did you notice the minute Peyton Manning was gone, the Colts have been tragedy? I mean, Andrew Luck retired early. He hired the wrong general manager. It's been Bad story after bad story. I think that Jim Irsay ran Carson Wentz out of town. Was that right or not? I'm not sure, but it didn't help them long-term. And running backs right now in the NFL are generally upset. Uh, A big message was sent to the NFL running backs around the league when Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, and Josh Jacobs all did not get long-term contracts. They all got franchise tagged. So running backs now in the NFL are more aware than ever of how they are getting screwed financially. Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, tweeted about this and called it inappropriate for running backs to ask for more money. And that did not sit well with Jonathan Taylor. He was not tweeting specifically about Jonathan Taylor, according to Jim Ursay, but not, you gotta read the temperature of the room and realize hey, you're, you're, you got a, a running back who's been a workhorse for you, who's getting paid next to nothing. And he's probably not happy. Read the temperature of the room. You gotta manage that relationship well. Jim Marseille did not. He met with Jonathan Taylor, and after the meeting, Jonathan Taylor immediately requested a trade. Here's the background of the story. Jonathan Taylor's been in the NFL for three years, and in three years, he's run for 3,800 yards and 33 touchdowns. That's an average of over 1,000 yards a year. He was a second-round pick in 2020, and the second year in the NFL is um, his second year in 2021, he ran for almost... 600 yards more than the next guy. He led the NFL in rushing and ran for 1,800 yards. He's on a rookie contract making $7 million over the course of four years. He's getting next to nothing compared to the value he's bringing. Again, let me repeat this. Jonathan Taylor ran for 1,800 yards in 2021. Led the NFL in rushing by almost 600 yards more than the next guy. I totally understand a guy like Jonathan Taylor is like, hey, um... I am bringing tremendous value to this football team. I'm getting paid pennies compared to everyone else. This is ridiculous. I would want more money. He's on a a rookie contract from the pay scale, uh, scale of a second round pick, which is really low. I mean, for you and me, making a million a year is great. But for a guy who led the NFL in rushing, you should get financially rewarded for that. He's realizing... If I'm going to get paid, I'm not going to get, I looked at Saquon getting screwed. He didn't get an offer, a a contract after his rookie deal. I looked at Jonathan, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard. After my rookie deal is over, I'm probably never going to get paid again. So if I'm going to get paid, I got to get paid right now. Today, now is the time. And so I understand Jonathan Taylor saying, I'm getting screwed. I want more money. I have brought tremendous value to this football team. And have not been financially compensated for that. Things are about to get worse, by the way. So Jonathan Taylor's on the last year of his rookie contract. And the Colts are now threatening to withhold his salary. During his pre-training camp physical, apparently he reported some back pain, which he now disputes. Jonathan Taylor says, I ain't got no back pain. What are you talking about? But it's been decided that the injury, which is up in the air whether it actually exists or not, But the Colts say, Jonathan Taylor has a back injury that is not from playing football for the Colts. So now the Colts can withhold his money and not pay him. By the way, the way to make a player happy who doesn't want to work with you is not to keep money from him. (laughs) Hey, how about managing the relationship a little bit? I think the Colts have managed this horribly. They said, you're injured when he says I'm not. They're now threatening to not pay him. They also won't give him a bigger contract. The Colts have been fighting fire with fire. Every time Jonathan Taylor says, I'm not happy, they say, screw you, we hate you, we're not going to help you. Not going to work, guys. You want this guy to show up and play for you. Uh, If I were Jonathan Taylor, I would never play for the Colts ever again. The money you're going to get paid this year, $4 million, you can make that money a lot of other places. He's on the last year of his rookie contract making $4 million this year. He made less than a million dollars the year that he ran for 1,800 yards and led the NFL in rushing. Again, you can go to another team. Miami would probably happily pay Jonathan Taylor $4 million this year to be their running back. I'd love to see Miami trade for him. Here's the problem, though. The Colts owner, Jim Irsay, is spiteful. He's going to want to win this situation. He does not want to make Jonathan Taylor happy, clearly. By threatening to withhold money, I'm sure their meeting went horribly. My prediction of this whole scenario, Jonathan Taylor unhappy, he's not getting paid more, wanting more money. The Colts saying, we don't want to, not only do we not want to pay you more money, we don't even want to pay you the money you have under contract right now. I think this situation is going to end ugly. We're going to wait. We're going to see what the details lead to. But um, I do not have a good feeling about this Jonathan Taylor situation with the Colts. Uh, And I think a lot of the blame has to fall on their owner Jim Ursay, who to me, again, the word is buffoon. He just doesn't manage relationships very well. He does a lot of weird stuff. Just he's a very, I know the fans like him because he's on Twitter and tweets to the fans, gives away stuff all the time. But I don't, I do not like the way that Jim Ursay runs his business and treats people uh, that he works with every day in the football world. And oh man, I do not predict this ending well for the Colts or Jonathan Taylor. It's going to be ugly either way. And uh, I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. Now, I got to open my notes here because I got a lot of quotes to read in this story. I got to drink water, too. This is a big one. I got to prepare for it. We got a lot to talk about here up next. Denver Broncos head coach Sean Payton did an interview with Jarrett Bell from USA Today. The article is called... Sean Payton pinpoints blame for Broncos collapse and Russell Wilson's woes. 20 dirty hands. I recommend you read the article in USA Today. Uh, it's a gold mine of really great quotes. I'm going to get to as many as I can. I'm not going to read every quote here uh, from the article, but I've got like three really big ones I want to read and go through. The first article is this. Sean Payton said early on uh, when he talked to Jarrett Bell, he said, I'm going to be pissed off if this is not a playoff team. He's talking about the Broncos. He said they should be a playoff team this year. This is a really good football team. I think Sean Payton has high expectations for his team this year in Denver. He's confident in his team in Denver. And I think everything you're about to hear, all the quotes he gave during this article, my belief is that Sean Payton was trying to give his team confidence. Say, look, I believe in these guys. Here's why they should believe in themselves. Uh, It didn't all land. Uh, We'll talk about what went wrong here, but here's the next bit of... uh, Next quote I want to read. He said, it doesn't happen often where an NFL team or organization gets embarrassed. Sean Payton continues and says, and that happened here. Part of it was their own fault relative to spending so much blanking money and time, sorry, blanking time trying to win the offseason. The PR, the pomp, the circumstance, marching people around, all this stuff. Sean Payton says, we're not doing any of that. The Jets did that this year. You watch Hard Knocks, all of it. I can see it coming. I remember when former Washington owner Dan Snyder put that dream team together. I was the coach, uh, I was at the Giants in 2000, I was a young coach. I thought, how are we going to compete with them? They got Deion Sanders there now. That team won eight games or whatever, so just listen, put the work in. So listen, just put the work in. My point is he's saying, we don't want to have a bunch of stuff, nonsense going on off the field. We'll talk about the Jets more in a moment, but you know... In this article, Sean Payton talks about how last year in Denver, there was so much stuff going on outside of football, off the field. In that USA Today article, Sean Payton says one of the mistakes that was made in Denver last year was that Russell Wilson's support staff was given full access to the team facility. And he said, you should not have allowed that. You know, Russell Wilson has his own team of personal employees that uh, help him prepare for games and get better as an athlete. It's a common thing for NFL quarterbacks. You're making millions and millions of dollars, you want a lot of people helping you succeed. Tom Brady does it. uh, Patrick Mahomes does it. Russ has an athletic trainer, a strength and conditioning coach, a massage therapist, a personal quarterback coach. Uh, But that, they should not have full access to the facility. They were working and operating out of the facility. Remember that story where, remember Russell Wilson after a loss was doing like high knees on a plane while guys are trying to sleep? Part of that's because his people were with him all the time. And the coaching staff and the ownership and the general manager in Denver allowed that to happen. Sean Payton, Sean Payton said, it's normal for a quarterback to have their own office to watch film in, but I've never seen the other stuff. And remember, Patrick Mahomes has a similar group of people helping him succeed, but he meets with them outside of the team facility. We saw that when he when you watch that show on Netflix, Quarterback, you see Patrick Mahomes leaving the Chiefs facility to go meet with his trainer at his own personal gym. He doesn't do it at the facility. It's, it's a separate thing. And when you're losing and your quarterback has this whole entourage around him all the time, it's a bit awkward. You're like, man, what are we, what's happening here? It's better to separate them. That's why Andy Reid has Patrick Mahomes go meet with people outside of the Chiefs facility. Now, here's the third quote. When Sean Payton was asked what happened with Russell Wilson last year, here's what he said. Sean Payton said, oh man, there's so much dirt around that. There's 20 dirty hands for what for what was allowed. Tolerated in the freaking training rooms, the meeting rooms, the offense. I don't know Hackett. A lot of people had dirt on their hands. It wasn't just Russell. He didn't just flip. He still has it. That BS that he hit a wall, shoot, they couldn't get a play in. They were 29th in the league in pre-snap penalties on both sides of the ball. Everyone's got a little stink on their hands. It's not just Russell. It was a poor offensive line, and it might have been one of the worst coaching jobs he in the history of the NFL, that's how bad it was. I want to repeat that. It might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. That's how bad it was. That is Sean Payton talking about former Denver Broncos head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. To me, this is Sean Payton trying to take the heat off of Russell Wilson, trying to tell the Broncos, hey, look, losing last year wasn't because you guys suck as football players. It's because the leadership was so messy and the disorganized. Things were so bad and it's not all your fault. That quote, though, one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL grabbed a lot of attention. Sean Payton said it, but if you watched Denver last year, I did. I watched way more of Denver than I would have liked. We all thought it. Did you not see what happened in Denver? It's, it's funny that this was so controversial for Sean Payton to say, but he said out loud what we already kind of knew. Did, did you watch the Colts-Broncos game last year? It was a disaster. It was horrible. And you watched Russell Wilson fall apart. And I don't know how good Russell Wilson still is. He was good a couple years ago. He's not as bad as we saw last year. That was just an absolute mess when it came to play calling, organization, players in the right spot. Just coaching was horrible. And so for Sean Payton to say the thing that we all kind of know, I guess you're not supposed to. And I'll talk about why I think you're not supposed to say what Sean Payton said in a minute. But it was true to me. I think everything he said was actually on point. Now, Aaron Rodgers responded because uh, the failed Broncos head coach last year, Nathaniel Hackett, is now Aaron Rodgers' offensive coordinator in New York with the Jets. And he used to coach him in Green Bay as well. So Aaron and Nathaniel Hackett are tight. They're buddy-buddy. And Aaron Rodgers said, that's my guy. And talked about how Nathaniel Hackett's a good family man. He treats everybody really well. And said, keep my coach's name out of your mouth. And then Aaron Rodgers continued to call Sean Payton insecure to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for his team. So Aaron was incensed and kind of took a shot at Sean Payton. Um, I, I totally support Aaron Rodgers, by the way, supporting your coach. That's kind of what you do. He's, he's the biggest. And um, I know like the Jets head coach, Robert Sala, said something about it. It was totally boring and not interesting, which is probably how you're supposed to answer that, actually. He said, like, ah, you, you talk smack, you're probably doing something right. The Aaron Rodgers defended his coach. I don't mind that. I like that. Um, but to me, again, I think Sean Payton's intention with all of these quotes in this article was he was trying to give his team confidence and trying to say out loud why things were so bad last year and take the blame off of the players, off of Russell Wilson, off of the other guys that are in Denver from last year. Um and I, I really don't think that Sean Payton meant to create a distraction. However, he did. And the next day, Sean Payton actually said, I regretted those comments and was trying to He's trying to support his guys. But he said, I got to be better. And I wasn't very media savvy. To me, it sounded like, you know, Sean Payton is good friends with Jarrett Bell, the reporter for USA Today. Um, he said, you know, I had a couple too many lattes. I'm like, it sounded like he was a little bit drunk, actually, like sounded like it was I don't know what was going on, but it sounded like he got a little too comfortable with a personal friend who also happens to be a reporter, which isn't great. Um, but I've got a question actually from Patreon, patreon.com slash Zach patreon.com slash Zach Donovan writes in, he says, he says, hello, Zach's surveillance cameras. I love that, by the way. If you're going to write into the show, have a great intro like that. That's a great greeting. I love that. Donovan says, What are your thoughts on Sean Payton's comment about Nathaniel Hackett when he said it might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL? That's how bad it was. Personally, I love hearing a head coach tell it like it is instead of giving a soft answer like most people would give to the media. What say you? Donovan, again, what Sean Payton said was true, and I I think that's important to say is he wasn't wrong. It was a horrible, horrible coaching job by Nathaniel Hackett. Everything went wrong last year, and he was clearly – um, out of his depth. I mean, he was not prepared to be the head coach. He was not the right guy for that situation and should never have been in that position in the fir- first place. And Nathaniel Hackett got promoted farther than uh, the level he can succeed at. And I love it. I love that Sean Payton said it. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's great. And it made the Jets' Broncos game week five in Denver, by the way, more interesting. It added fuel to the fire. And, and Sean Payton even said, this the day after, when he apologized and said he regretted saying what he said, he said I got to take my Fox broadcasting hat off. I got to turn into head coach Sean Payton again. And if you're a broadcaster, it's your job to you know create interesting quotes and provide entertaining sound bites. And your job is to be interesting as a broadcaster, in my opinion. But that's not Sean Payton's job. Sean Payton's job is to be a head coach and win football games. And Uh, here's why I think Sean Payton said the wrong thing and should not have given all these quotes to Jarrett Bell and said that it was one of the worst coaching jobs in history. He could have said, hey, I think a lot of... He could have just simply said, a lot of stuff that went wrong in Denver last year wasn't Russell Wilson's fault and left it there. And you don't have to throw Nathaniel Hackett under the bus and mention his name and also mention the Jets out of... He went out of his way to talk about the Jets and how they are trying to win the offseason, get a lot of good PR. And none of that needed to be said. He could have simply said... Hey, I watched the Jet, I watched the Denver Broncos last year. I'm sure you did too. A lot of what went wrong wasn't on Russell Wilson. It was the situations he was put in. You could insinuate it was the coach's fault without saying it out loud. He was a little more direct than he probably needed to be. And the reason why that's a problem is that you gave the Jets a lot of motivation for that week five game. Sean Payton's job is to win football games. And if you lose to the Jets week five, then you could argue that the quotes he gave created a loss for the Denver Broncos that maybe not would not have been a big story otherwise. I mean, it would have always been the, the Nathaniel Hackett revenge game, but it would have been probably the Broncos getting revenge on Nathaniel Hackett for all the horrible stuff they did. Now, because Sean Payton created a fire and talked a lot of smack, the Jets are going to try to fight hard to stand up for their guy. So that's why you can't give that kind of Answer. If you're a head coach, if you're a head coach, your job is to give really boring, crappy answers, or do what Mike McDaniel's does, which Mike McDaniel's gives really entertaining answers that provide nothing but entertainment. Like Mike McDaniel's, the Dolphins head coach, will talk in circles for a long time. Very similar to former Washington State, Texas Tech, Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach. May he rest in peace. I was in the building with Mike Leach multiple times. I was there at press conferences watching him live. He was so dang funny. And if you would ask Mike Leach a football question, he would never answer the question. He would just turn it into a story about pirates or about how he hates weddings or this or that. Like he would always deflect by talking about something else. So he would create great sound bites, but he also wouldn't give anything that would add any fuel to any kind of fire football-wise. And um, regardless of how you answer questions, what you cannot do is give another team motivation and potentially put your team at risk of losing, similar to what... The Man, that Cincinnati mayor did, talking smack to the Kansas City Chiefs last year. He added fuel to the fire. You don't help your team when you talk smack, in my opinion. Unless you're like, hey, I'm going to talk smack and still win. But you're, you're, you're putting yourself at risk. And I'll tell you what now. Sean Payton better win that Week 5 game against the Jets. If you don't, then I would argue that this quote we just read, that cost the Broncos a, a win, which is the opposite of what Sean Payton's job is to do. Sean Payton's job is to win football games first and foremost, not to give entertaining good answers. So Donovan, while I like what he said, it was entertaining. That's not his job. And that's why he said the wrong thing in my opinion. All right. Um, more about the Broncos. Broncos, the end, Frank Clark gave a really honest quote the other day. I liked it. Remember Frank Clark spent four years in Kansas City, um, went to the Super Bowl, did, did great. Now he's in Denver. He left Kansas City in the offseason. Now he's the uh, DN for the Broncos. And Frank Clark was asked about the Chiefs-Denver rivalry. And he said, I wouldn't call it a rivalry. Frank Clark said, a rivalry is competitive. And, uh, you know, KC's beat Denver 15 games in a row. And I love it. I just want to say briefly that Frank Clark is, is honest. And it's true. It's not a rivalry between Kansas City and the Broncos. And I think it really repeats this message across the board that the Denver Broncos are trying to make changes and win. And the more honest you are about how bad things have been in the past, the more you can move forward and say, we're making changes now. And Frank Clark is part of that. I really like what he said. And uh, it's true that the Broncos and Chiefs do not have any kind of rivalry. It's been one-sided completely, and it's not competitive at all. Kansas City has dominated the Broncos 15 games in a row. Uh, One more Broncos story very briefly. Unfortunately, today we found out that Tim Patrick, their wide receiver, um, it's unconfirmed, but it sounds like he tore his Achilles and is out for the year. That's not great. That's bad news. This is a team that's trying to win, trying to make changes. We've talked about it a lot already today that the Broncos were bad last year. They want to be better this year, and they lost now a a key player on their offense. Not the star receiver, but definitely a contributor on their offense, Tim Patrick, and uh, that's not great for the Broncos season. Now, uh, let's talk about Saquon Barkley. As if we haven't enough (laughs) for for weeks and weeks. Um, I want to just give props to Saquon Barkley because Saquon Barkley talked about his decision to return to the Giants. Remember, he talked about sitting out for a year after he didn't get the contract he wanted. He got franchise tagged and ultimately he signed an adjusted franchise tag and ended up on a one-year contract with the Giants. And Saquon Barkley said he had an epiphany. He realized that If I sit out this year and the Giants don't have a good record, do you think that's going to make another team want to give him $15 million a year next year? Like, sitting out wouldn't help Saquon Barkley at all. That's what he said, and I agree. It's very self-aware of him to realize that. Um, You know, he got $10.1 million plus another million dollars of incentives by adjusting his uh, franchise tag with the Giants, and that's the best deal Saquon Barkley was going to get. And I don't know that Saquon Barkley's ever going to get the big long-term contract he wants, like $15, $16 million a year guaranteed for four years. I just don't think we're going to see Saquon Barkley get that kind of money. Um, and in fact, unfortunately for Saquon Barkley, every down of football he plays in the NFL is more mileage on his body that's going to be held against him. We get, oh, well, you took a lot of hits. You ran for you know, 1,000 yards last year. You had 200 carries. You got beat up a lot. Now we think you're more likely to get hurt this year than last year. It's like tread on a tire, right? The more you drive a tire, it doesn't make it less more valuable. It makes it less valuable. Running backs are like tires. You, you run them until they're flat and have no tread on them, and then you replace them. And uh, the tread on a tire in the NFL for a running back wears out really quickly, if that makes sense. I think that makes sense. But um, I, I just – I really think Saquon Barkley would have gained nothing by sitting out and not playing. And so um, – Look, I don't know if Saquon Barkley's ever going to make the big money he wants. I think it's more likely that he's not going to. But he's going to be $10 million richer by playing this year than he would have been by sitting out. So I think it's a right move. And um, regardless, I, I'm happy for Saquon getting some money. And I hope he makes another couple million the next year. And um, But I, I ultimately think he's never going to get the big money he wants. But you look historically at running backs sitting out for the year. Le'Veon Bell tried to make a stand when he was in Pittsburgh, said, I'm not going to play till you pay me. And he sat out a whole year and never got the money he really wanted. So uh, sitting out for a running back does not appear to help you in any way, shape, or form. All right. Um, can I call him Deion Sanders, Colorado Buffaloes? Deion Sanders um, College, Colorado, the the coach. Deion Sanders is the coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. And to me, uh, he's the figurehead of that organization and that that college, frankly, because he's the most interesting part of Colorado football. Otherwise, Colorado football, I don't care about at all, other than, oh my gosh, Deion Sanders is there. What's going to happen? Now, Colorado has announced they are leaving the Pac-12. The Colorado Board of Regents uh, voted unanimously in favor of leaving the Pac-12. So as a result, this is Colorado's last year in the Pac-12. And next year in 2024, Colorado's going to join the Big 12. Now, the rumors are that Arizona now is also planning to leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12 as well. So um, it's great for the Big 12 way to recover from losing Texas and Oklahoma. You're replacing them and, you know, expanding and building your organization. But the Pac-12 is in shambles. Either way, whether it's Arizona and Colorado or just Colorado, it's it's really, really bad for the Pac-12. They are losing team after team and— So far it's confirmed, absolutely, they're losing Colorado, USC, and UCLA next year. And it's sad because to me, I think this year in college football, the Pac-12 is really, really interesting. They've got like eight really good quarterbacks, and it's competitive and fun. And um, I've always said Pac-12 football in a vacuum is so exciting. If you only watch Pac-12 football, you put blinders on, and you didn't know what was happening in the SEC or the Big Ten or nationally, the Pac-12 is a great old time. However, there is no one team that stands above everyone else in the Pac-12. There is no nationally dominant team that goes to the college football playoff and wins a national title. They all beat up on each other. And so if you want to watch great football this year, watch the Pac-12. All the quarterbacks are incredible. Cam Ward, Caleb Williams, it goes on and on and on. Michael Panix Jr., um, gosh, I, 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 there's so many names right now. Shitter Sanders, the kid at Arizona. Um, what's his name? Adam... Out of St. Louis High School in Hawaii, Jaden Delora, um, Oregon State's got D- DJ Uyungle. Like, it's just crazy how many Bo Nix in Oregon. Thank you. That's anything I knew I was blanking on. Um, Rising Utah. Like, there's so much competitive, fun football in the Pac-12 right now. And it's probably going to be the last year we—it might even be literally the last year we ever see Pac-12 football happen at all. The Pac-12 does not have a media deal for the future. They're trying to negotiate with any network that will take them. ESPN, Fox, CBS, whatever, the Pac-12 is getting more and more desperate for a new media deal. And the thing I'm really curious about right now is that the two biggest brands in college football are Oregon Football and the and UW, other than USC, UCLA, which are leaving. And I don't see UW leaving. They're happy. They like their little corner of the world and um, they like to dominate the Pac-12. But Oregon Football, in you know, specifically... Oregon football is really, really, um, I think, not happy with feeling like they're on a sinking ship. They've got a lot of Nike money. Phil Knight's a big supporter of them. That's the the CEO, owner of Nike. I don't know if he's CEO anymore, but he definitely is the owner of Nike. It makes all the money from them. The University of Oregon does not want to be associated with a bad conference. And I think they might try to go to the Big Ten. Is that good for them? I'm not sure. That's a lot of travel. That's a lot of on a plane. I mean, how many miles? If you are Oregon football and you play a Big Ten schedule, think of how far you're going to travel. I mean, same with USC, though, too. Um, But the Pac-12 is going to try to expand, and they keep losing big time. And I I wonder if Oregon is the next football program to say, hey, we're not really liking what's happening in the Pac-12 world. We want out. And I I wonder, does Oregon want to try to be – the big dog in the Pac-12, whatever is going to be their future iteration of them, or are they going to try to jump ship and go to the Big Ten or go to the SEC? Um, I think it's kind of laughable to say that Oregon could dominate the Pac-12 when they haven't already dominated the Pac-12. I mean, I'm not really sure, but what I will say is the Pac-12 really screwed up recently. They had a chance to bring in San Diego State. seems like they might be able to recover and bring in San Diego State now anyway that Colorado's leaving, but they didn't manage that situation very well. Uh, They're considering uh, SMU in Dallas. They're considering UNLV, Boise State, Fresno State. A team like Oregon, I would imagine, could dominate the UNLVs, the Boise States, the Fresno States, the SMUs, teams like that. So maybe Oregon sits pat and wants to just be happy being the big dog in a small pond or big fish in a small pond. These things are... I I am just all over the place today. I'm saying like analogies that are are like kind of close to accurate, but they're not quite right. Um, But to me, the Pac-12 is dying. And... I, I really wonder: Is the Pac-12 going to exist in five to ten years? It's a real concern to me. And uh, Colorado leaving signals a vote of no confidence that um, they're going to get more money in the Big 12. You know, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klavkoff was brought into with the hope that George Klavkoff could save the Pac-12. And I mean, he's made a lot of money for himself. He goes on long vacations and is doing well financially for himself. But he's not done anything to help the Pac-12. In fact, so far, George Klavkoff has totally failed. The PAC 12. And the PAC 12's current media deal is going to expire on July 1st, 2024. That's with Fox and ESPN. Colorado is guaranteed going to make $31.7 million from the Big 12 media deal annually per year. And Colorado did not believe they were going to make more money by staying on the PAC 12 and getting whatever is going to come from their media deal. That's not good either. So um, it's a vote of no confidence. Colorado did not believe that staying with the Pac-12 was going to make them a lot of money and do good for them, and uh, they jumped ship. So I just repeat this. I am worried as a guy who—I'm a West Coast guy. I've watched a lot of Pac-12 football in my life. I used to do—you know, I used to do filming for Pac-12 Network, literally, and I, I am not sure that the Pac-12 might is going to be a thing in five to ten years, and I don't like that. I think if you watch the Pac-12 this year, there's a lot of good, fun football, but— in fact, a lot of great quarterbacks, man. The quarterbacks this year in the Pac-12 are unbelievable. Might be multiple first-round picks at quarterback in the Pac-12, but um, their future is tenuous and in a really bad spot. So I am concerned. Uh, let's talk about a former Pac-12 receiver, guy who played at University of Washington. I watched him live. He was amazing. He got hurt a lot, but he was amazing. Um, NFL receiver John Ross has retired. In 2017, he was a number nine overall pick uh, by Cincinnati, and he is notable. John Ross is notable for running a 4-2-2 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine, the fastest 40-yard dash time ever. And if you watch him, it's kind of awkward. Literally still today, when you look at like John Ross's Instagram page, he's still posting about that 40-yard dash time. It's like the best thing he ever did in his NFL career, and like, I didn't know you could put a 40-yard dash time into a highlight reel, but he did, and it's kind of like, eh, you're really resting on your laurels, but no shade to him. Um, it's just sad. Like that's the best accomplishment of John Ross's career is the 40 yard dash time. Um, because in five years, in the NFL, he's been in the league for six, but he didn't play took last year off trying to get healthy. He had 62 catches for 1,150 yards and 11 touchdowns over the course of five seasons playing. It's not great. Never played a full year. Could never stay healthy. John Ross made just under $19 million in his NFL career and, uh, I hope he saved a lot of it, man. I hope he's set for life. I mean, that's, in a weird way, John Ross is kind of the story of the American dream. It's a guy who worked really hard and got really good at something and maybe didn't do it uh, at a high level or succeed on the field, but he made a lot of money. And if he was smart with his money, he never needs to worry ever again. And I I am hoping that is the situation John Ross is in today. Um, But I'm sad. He retired. He was in Kansas City, most recently playing in their training camp. Um, Sounded like he got injured again and he just decided to walk away. Uh, and he's actually still going to be on the injured reserve list for Kansas City in case he decides to come back. I- I'd love to see John Ross play for Kansas City. I was really hoping that you know, playing with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes could get the most out of him. Like, he is so fast. Like, that's the thing. He's such a speed threat. And we saw Tyree Kill, who is known for just being really fast in college. And, you know, Tyree Kill was not a high draft pick. Go to Kansas City and, you know, just explode and get the most out of him. I was really hoping that John Ross would go to Kansas City and have a similar explosion of his career working with great coaching that could elevate him, but uh, he didn't last. He retired, and I, I honestly, selfishly, would love to see John Ross change his mind because I'm so curious what would happen with Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes working with John Ross, what could be accomplished on the field. But uh, he's walked away, and you know, I, I wish John Ross the best. I hope he's doing great and is set financially forever. Now, let's end the show today with questions from Patreon. Patreon.com slash Zach Shamler. If you want to support the show, Patreon.com slash Zach It's a dollar a month. You can, some more support. you can donate more if you want to. I cannot talk today. What's happening? You take two days off and suddenly you just can't talk. It's so weird. Um, if you want to support the show, please do. It literally does pay my rent. Uh, it's a dollar a month. It gives you access to submit questions to the show. Now, I do not guarantee to read your questions on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. Joshua writes in Joshua says, Hey, Zach, what do you believe is the future for Zach Wilson? In my opinion, the chances for Aaron Rodgers to play more than two years seem extremely low. Can Zach Wilson turn it around or are the Jets going to have to start over at quarterback when Aaron Rodgers inevitably Rides off into retirement by 2025. Um, no, ideally, Aaron Rodgers is going to play for two more years uh, with the Jets, and Zach Wilson's going to learn a lot in that time. I, I want to be clear. I still believe that Zach Wilson can be the Jets' franchise quarterback long term. Uh, in fact, sitting behind Aaron Rodgers makes me more confident in him. I think he's going to learn from the best, and I think having— You know, Zach Wilson never had a great quarterback to sit behind and learn from. He had Joe Flacco, I guess. But for him to be able to spend two years as the backup to Aaron Rodgers to observe how he operates, what his habits are, and just copy everything Aaron does. And by the way, Aaron has been very vocal. And Zach Wilson said publicly, like, Aaron's really teaching me a lot and helping me and taking me under his wing. And I cannot imagine a better scenario for Zach Wilson, honestly, because his two favorite players growing up were Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. He gets to work with his idol and learn from him every single day for probably the next two years. And then maybe year three, he'll be back as a starting quarterback with all the lessons and all the stuff he learned from Aaron in that time. Um, I mean, gosh, in training camp last year, the Jets and the Packers had a joint practice and uh, for a couple days, I think. And, you know, Zach Wilson's dad was posting about how it means so much for Aaron to work with Zach Wilson and how cool it is. And Zach Wilson's like, yeah, I was working with Aaron and learning a lot. Now they can do that every day for two years. I really think that Zach Wilson getting to learn from Aaron Rodgers makes me more comfortable that he's going to be their quarterback long term. And I just think anyone who's writing off Zach Wilson, discarding him, saying he's terrible. Look, he didn't play well last year. I'm working on something behind the scenes of this film, but... He definitely did some good stuff, and he did some stuff that you're like, oh, that's a really nice throw. That's impressive. I just wish I could see him do it more often. And I think in time, uh, working with Aaron Rodgers is going to teach him so much that when he gets his number called again, Zach Wilson's going to be ready. Maybe Aaron gets hurt. That's the other thing. Maybe Aaron starts the year really, really well and then breaks his thumb and can't play. And then Zach Wilson's thrust back in the starting quarterback job, and maybe he'll do really well because he's learned a lot. You never know. I hope Zach Wilson stays ready, but I have not given up on his career and his potential future as the Jets franchise quarterback. All right. Um, Landon writes in, Landon says, hello, Zach's eyeballs. You may have already touched on this, but I'm curious, how much success do you anticipate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will have this year? Do you think the Mr. Wake and Bake is their long-term answer at quarterback? Love the content, man. God bless. Um I'll give you a better answer during predictions for sure, but I am so, so excited for Baker Mayfield. Um, to me, Tampa is the best possible situation for him to play in. Uh, you know, he got the remnants of a Super Bowl, uh, a great offensive line, good receivers, a good defense, a good staff around him. Of all the teams that needed a quarterback this offseason, I thought Tampa was the team that was best suited to help a quarterback win immediately. And so Baker's going into a really good situation with good pieces around him. And I think he's got a chance to win the division. So it's really on how well does Baker play and how well does Baker carry himself emotionally and and from a mental standpoint. But um, how good is Baker going to be? I I really don't know. It seems to be really, he's been up and down. But remember, this is a former number one overall pick. He's a very capable quarterback who... Now he's throwing to uh, some really, really good players. And I just I, – I'm really – I guess I can't tell if it's a good bet or it's just wishful thinking, but I really want to see Baker do well with the pieces they have in Tampa. I think this is the best shot he's ever going to have in, in his entire career to win and look like a true franchise quarterback. So I'm rooting for Baker, and um, I guess we'll see what happens. Now, Phoenix writes in. Phoenix Fife says, Hello, Zaccaroni and Cheese. I hope all is going well, and I know you've heard this a million times, but I'm very happy to see you back. You were like the only podcast I listened to, so it's awesome to have this great noise back in my ear holes. (laughs) Anyway, to get to the question, this one is in regard to the Cardinals and their quarterback situation. The team as a whole is pretty much expected to be terrible and finish bottom five in the league, if not the very bottom, even after Kyler comes back. If this is the case and the Cardinals do in fact finish at the bottom of the league, Do they draft one of the best prospects to come out in a while in Caleb Williams or do they stick with what they have in Kyler Murray? Kyler can be great, but has so far failed to live up to his potential and the Cardinals just paid huge money and bet on the fact that he can. But Caleb Williams is a prospect that has potential through the roof and could be paired with management that actually chose him, unlike the one Kyler Murray is currently playing under. This is something that I feel isn't getting enough attention as whatever ends up happening is going to be a terrific storyline whether or not they end up sticking with or dishing off their former number one pick, Kyler Murray. Um, I would would trade, if I was running the Cardinals and I had the number one overall pick, I mean, here's what you don't realize. The Cardinals are probably going to have two top five picks. They've got their own first round pick and they've got the Texans first round pick for next year. So they're going to have two, I think, definitely top 10 picks, maybe even top five picks, depending on how well Houston does. Can they exceed expectations or not? Um, I would trade away Kyler Murray, get rid of this horrible contract. Um, you're he's, you're going to owe him a lot of money, and if you can get a, a starting quarterback for way cheaper, you just should. It makes more sense financially. Caleb Williams is an option. I'll be honest. Caleb Williams is six foot one. He's not a small quarterback, but he's not the biggest guy. If I was Arizona, man, maybe you draft Drake May. The quarterback out of North Carolina, he's six foot four. He can run. He can throw. He he looks like Aaron Rodgers throwing the football. He's incredible. Um, but either way, I think maybe you opt for the bigger quarterback this time instead of the small guy like Kyler Murray. Not saying that Caleb is exactly small. He's six foot one. But maybe you go the exact opposite of Kyler Murray this time. But what's really key? I I mean no disrespect to Jonathan Gannon. I feel bad for the guy. I think he's the only sucker who would take the job in Arizona. Quite frankly, but. I don't believe that Jonathan Gannon is going to do well in Arizona. Um, and if I were the Cardinals, I would hire an offensive head coach. Get a young quarterback, whether it's Drake May or Caleb Williams. At this point, I I would actually prefer them. Specifically, the Cardinals, given their last quarterback, a, a smaller guy, Kyler Murray, you could run and uh, get hurt. Uh, I would actually opt for the bigger quarterback, Drake May. But draft a quarterback, either one works for me, and then hire an offensive head coach um you know the 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 Detroit Lions have a really good offensive coordinator that maybe you could poach and become your head coach if I'm the Lions by the way I'm paying him there's no salary cap on what you can pay coaching staffs and so if I'm the Lions I'm paying whatever I can to keep him as OC in Detroit but um you know Arizona I mean they're they're a horrible team in general right now they're they're it's not just their players. There's a lot of stuff. Go listen to Derek Anderson talk about how bad things were. Like you had to pay for snacks in the vending machine, like crazy stuff. Um, just the the way the Cardinals are run is really cheap and really nickel and diming their own players and their own employees. So uh, I think there's a lot wrong with the Cardinals. And uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's not great what's going on there. So if I were them, I think you get a new quarterback, get a new head coach that's an offensive head coach, and totally reset everything. Trade away Kyler Murray, get rid of his $50 million contract. I mean, it's like, million, it's like $50 million a year, or something like that, 45 whatever it is. It's it's a lot of money for a quarterback when you can pay next to nothing for a quarterback on a rookie contract who maybe has more potential like Drake May or Caleb Williams. So I would replace Kyler in a heartbeat. Okay, Joe writes in. Joe says, how's it going, Kodak Zach? I like that. I think that's a reference to the rapper Kodak Black, probably. Fun right in. I like that salute. Anyway, Joe says... I've also been playing Madden recently, but I only play franchise mode with updated rosters. So I'm playing with all the current rookies and the franchise I'm doing right now made me think about the quarterbacks drafted this year. I'm playing as a running back on the Texans and CJ Stroud has been absolutely atrocious. He averages about four interceptions a game and that made me want to ask, out of all the rookie quarterbacks, which ones do you think will completely flame out? At least one or two do each year. Thanks for reading this with your eyeballs and enjoy my thought experiment. Um, I'm not going to predict anyone to fail. But we do have to acknowledge that CJ Stroud has the toughest road ahead for any of the rookie quarterbacks. Um, He's on an awful team, a historically poorly run franchise. Um, I think he's got less help than Bryce Young. He's got higher expectations than Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. Got a defensive head coach. You know, C.J. Stroud is not super mobile. He can run, but he doesn't. And so uh, his lack of ability to run is going to lead to making it harder for him to escape bad situations when things break down in the pocket. Um, I really believe in C.J. Stroud. I think that's important to say. I just said a lot of stuff that are working against him. He's got a really big uphill battle, but I think C.J. Stroud is going to be fine and work really well in the NFL. But because he's got a hard road, I- I'm going to be patient with him. C.J. Stroud... Um, Give him time to develop because it's going to be, I think, an uphill battle for him. You just got to be patient and give it time. If he struggles early on, he might be great early on. Uh, I think the bright spot of the Texan season is going to be CJ Stroud. However, um, let's acknowledge he's got a lot of things working against him. And if he struggles early, just be patient and give it time because that's what he needs right now as a young quarterback in a tough situation. Zachary writes and says, hey, Zach spelled correctly. Love that. Um, I'm catching up on episodes. I was listening to episode 548 in this, you talk about how you were unsure if Pete Carroll is the coach to get Seattle back over the hump from the perspective of an unbiased Raider fan. I have to agree with you that he could have been holding the team back due to not having a good offensive coordinator. I disagree now that Shane Waldron is in Shane Waldron's now the offensive coordinator in Seattle. Shane Waldern helped revive this offense and had two rookie tackles and Geno Smith at quarterback and turned them into the ninth ranked ninth ranked offense in points per game. Well, I'm not sold on him yet as their offensive EPA slash play was still below average. I don't even know what that means. Offensive EPA per play. I, I don't I have no idea. I don't care. Um, I think we cannot dismiss the possibility that Pete Carroll sticks around for another year or two as they set the team up to win a Super Bowl. And then he steps down. And Shane Waldron takes his place. I just wanted to know your thoughts on this, on if this is the plan. So could Pete Carroll set Seattle up for a Super Bowl run and then pass the torch on to Shane Waldron? Um, Look, I, I want to say I have an open mind. Um, Shane Waldron was there when Russell Wilson was there. His creative mind couldn't make Russell Wilson work, but he did make Geno Smith work. Um, so there's something to be said for that. And what I really like about Seattle is they've got three amazing, amazing receivers. DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Tyler Lockett. And I just want to say, I have an open mind. Let's see what Shane Waldron can do. I'd like to see him prove that he's an amazing offensive coordinator and dominate and do really great. I'm not sure he's going to do that, but uh, let's see. Time will tell. All right. Jonah writes in at the end. Jonah says this. He says, hey, Zach Attack. I've been seeing a ton of articles speculating about the 49ers quarterback controversy, and they make me laugh every time. Do you think it really matters that much who the quarterback is? I understand the angle of the mental aspect of not being the guy, but I feel all the guys on the roster understand the way Kyle Shanahan is willing to run things. The interesting part for me is the balance of trying to prioritize getting value out of Troy Lance against doing everything possible to win. Would love to hear your thoughts on if it matters if the Niners have a true QB1. P.S. I heard on 551 that you watched the second season of The Bear. My wife and I loved it. Would love a Zach Schellmer talking segment on your thoughts of the season. Um, Thanks. The Bear's amazing. Um, Jonah, here's what really is important to me to say. Um, I think the locker room in San Francisco supports Brock Purdy. And that's the number one most important thing because let's say that the day one starter in San Francisco is not Brock Purdy, whether that's Sam Darnold or Trey Lance or whatever. If you don't start Brock Purdy and you lose, the locker room in San Francisco is going to be like, um, why are we not playing the guy who won a lot of games last year? Why isn't Brock Purdy playing? He is the man. So I think regardless of what happens, regardless of who the better quarterback is in San Francisco, I'm, I'm not sure. It might be Sam Darnold, quite frankly. But regardless the team supports Brock Purdy. And so you got to go with that guy. You can't lose the locker room. And if a locker room is behind Brock Purdy, I think that's most important. And if he struggles, you can bench him. But if you lose and Brock Purdy's not the starting quarterback, everyone's going to be like, what the heck are we doing? The fan base, the team, everything going to be up in arms. Like, Why are we not starting Brock Purdy? So your week one, day one starter has to be Brock Purdy regardless because that is who everyone believes in and wants to see. And psychologically, again, if you take a let's say Sam Darnold is the best quarterback in San Francisco and you're like oh my god Sam Darnold's doing amazing we got to play him but then you lose week one everyone's gonna be like why are we not playing Brock Purdy makes no sense to me so you have to go with Brock Purdy and that's that's all I can really say here Jonah like you you just Brock's the guy like he has to be until proven otherwise so um that's what the 49ers have to do at quarterback in my opinion guys I love you I appreciate you um, my nose is itchy, which is really annoying. I, I feel sweaty and messy and I, like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, the hair is bothering me. It's really humid in here. Uh, I hope the show went well. I feel like I'm a little bit rusty. Is that weird to say? I took two days off and suddenly I'm rusty, but I do feel a little bit rusty, which is, uh, I don't know. I'll see you tomorrow. i will be better tomorrow. I love you guys. I appreciate it. hope you have a great day. I hope you enjoyed the show and, uh, see you tomorrow. ba bum bam We are done.